All right, I won't take too long tonight, uh, which are not famous last words. Uh, might be famous first words for all you know. Um, also, want to say welcome again to, to those of you who are watching us live online at the moment who couldn't be here, and uh, those who will catch up on this later, which uh, we must make sure we get um, a text out and tweeting for people to watch this, because I want to lay just a little framework of, um, of where we are heading and thinking this year from, um, from where we've come. So um, that's what I want to do and, and cover um, a little bit tonight. Um, I have become convinced um, over the last decade of my life that although it's not said, um, Jesus to much of the church is actually a sad inconvenience. And you say, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is we pick the bits out that we like. We like little baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the manger. We like that stuff. And we like the Jesus who dies for our sins. But my observation is that we don't tend to hang too hard to things like love your enemies. Uh, don't curse those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who, who use you all wrong and abuse you. And some of those kind of aspects of, of Jesus' life and teaching, um, I think, are sadly overlooked and, and because there's somewhat of an inconvenience to how we want to live life. And um, I said a little bit about this last, last week, but, but sometimes we want a Jesus who is designed to like what we like and dislike what we dislike which then extends to interpersonal relationships. You know that obviously Jesus dislikes the people I dislike and he likes the people I like, which what that means is Jesus really likes me and then he takes me as kind of his lead as to see where I'm coming from. So um, Jesus is a very inconvenient personality in the Gospels who... Um, so threatens the shape of life as it was understood and to some degree as it is understood that, that the response of the people that he came to, because it wasn't the Romans physically killed Jesus, but they didn't want to kill him. It was actually the people who he came to, his own people, who actually um, got him killed. And, 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 and sadly, the problem is we can still be in that position where the most convenient thing to do with this Jesus of the Gospels is sideline him, get rid of him, kill him, and let's stick with our interpretation of Paul's letters or church history. Well, you ought to have gathered by some of the things we've been said that we are desperately trying to recover the ground that has been lost. Difficult though it is, and it is difficult, but to endeavor to be followers of this wonderful man Jesus and 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 pursue the implications that means for our lives. So I want to talk to you about tonight, and I don't put this up on screen yet, Robert, because I'm not ready. Uh, something that we call LAFD squared, okay? All will be clear in a moment, okay? Um, when problems arise at an interpersonal level, the responses encountered can be approximately categorized into three groups. 
Um, the first response is to accuse, condemn, to judge, and to sentence. Uh, there's nobody in here who hasn't been the victim of that with someone in a relationship. And there's nobody in here who hasn't done that to someone in a relationship. No matter how nicely it's dressed up or how sweet we seem to be, you know, preserving the goodness of humanity by accusing that person and judging them and condemning them and sentencing them, it's, it's never right to approach anything from that viewpoint. But sadly, that is a default mechanism of humanity when problems occur at interpersonal levels, and we've all done it. Our immediate thoughts when we come into those things is who's right and who's wrong, isn't it? And then we think that somehow, if we're right and someone else is wrong, that is then what gives us the grounds by which to accuse, condemn, judge, and sentence. The second group um, that occurs in those breakdown of interpersonal relationship is, is distancing oneself until you see how it goes. Okay? So something's gone on. I'm not personally necessarily attached to what went on. But what I'm going to do is just step back. Have you ever had that experience where people kind of pull back in the relationship? Why is that happening? Because they're waiting to see how this is going to go. Because the basic rough principle of that is, if you're going down, baby, I ain't going down with you. But if this turns the corner and you look like a, a William Wallace hero, I was always with you right from the beginning. Again, not acceptable. The third categorized group in this breakdown of interpersonal relationships is the ones who stand with the person and between them and their accusers. Uh, I talked to you uh, a few weeks ago about the wonderful story in John chapter 8 about when this woman who happened to have been caught in the act of adultery is brought before Jesus. And uh, I'm not going into the whole story, but it's the one where, you know, let him who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And uh, I told you that I discovered something uh, a couple of months ago that distressed me greatly, that looks good on the outward, but actually it is a sad indictment of the hearts of the people because Jesus said, whoever's without sin be the first to cast a stone. So it says, so one by one, beginning at the oldest, they all walked away. Now that sounds great because you think that's wonderful. Actually, it's terrible. Because if they had now realized they weren't without sin and they were going to cast the stone at someone who had sinned, they should have gone and stood with the person who had sinned and said, I'm no different to you. If there's going to be a stoning, I should be stoned as well. So I'm in this with you. You see, that's a different spirit. It's a different spirit. Now, I believe that, that Jesus did this latter one, stand with the person and between them and their accusers. And my conviction is that we must do the same. Now, I have to tell you just from personal experience that these three categories I have shared with you have been part of my life experience for the last 11 years. Um, that I started out in a situation we were in being accused, condemned, judged and sentenced uh, by people who I didn't expect would ever do that. 
I encountered the second group. Sadly, the second group tended to be those who had more authority than others, who were in positions of authority, who were just going to distance themselves because if you were going to get the trouble, the mud was going to fly. They were going to make sure there weren't anywhere where the mud could stick on them. But thankfully, I also encountered the third group of people, which are those who stand with you and, and whose first message is not, you know, what have you done? We need an answer for this. Or who's, who, who had no message because they're just not going to call you to find out so they're going to see how it goes. But people who immediately were on the phone, on the email, and their first thing was not, what have you done? Their first thing was, how can we help? I will drop everything. I will be there. And I had leaders from, from several parts of the world, sadly, not a lot, but enough, who said, we will leave our church in the hands of others and we will be with you for as long as is necessary if you need us. What a wonderful spirit. And that was probably one of the key things that sustained my heart in the whole process of, of restoration and reconciliation um, was that spirit, because that's the Jesus spirit. Now, there's been a lot of emphasis in this place and teaching over the past two years on who God is and what he's really like. Now, for some of you maybe don't frequent so much, you might think, well, that's a bit of a daft question in a church, isn't it? Uh, I propose to you it's probably the most important question to be asked in the church because the danger is that we can create the God of religion or the God of a denomination or the God of an ideal rather than everything being shaped to discover who is this who is this being called God? Who is this man called Jesus? What are they really like? How much have we distorted that image to do as Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said, God created man in his image and man has returned the favor. How much do we not return that favor by allowing God to be who he is and submitting ourselves to learn that and live that out? So we've spent the last couple of years on emphasis and teaching on that. Uh, and it's out of that understanding that we developed the motto, declaring how all humanity is seen by God, which has become affectionately known as LAFD, which is loved, accepted, forgiven, done. You can definitely put that first slide up now, Robert. Loved, accepted, forgiven, done. So we have sent round... Uh, Easter cards to the whole city and all kinds of stuff with this message on because this has been what we have been discovering that we are all loved, that we are all accepted, we are all forgiven and that everything necessary for that to be a reality before the God of heaven is actually being done. So the truth is, he's not making a list and checking it twice, right? Going to find out who's naughty and nice. You've confused some of you, God, with Santa Claus. God is not making that list. In fact, the Bible says that God took that list that had been written against us in the book of Colossians and he nailed it to the cross with Jesus. So that list went missing when Jesus gave his life on the cross. So, so we've been deeply trying to understand the fact that we are loved, accepted, forgiven, and that it's already done. Now, for some people, your brains can't accommodate how massive a shift that is. Because something in our subconscious, as human beings, but also in our Christian upbringing, has, although we talk about 
a God who loves unconditionally, if we're honest, the whole shape of our life is that we have to get him to love us. We have to get him to accept us. We have to get him to forgive us. Uh, And we have to get him somehow by some magic words to confirm that all that's actually been done. And so so in the best of intentions, we develop systems whereby we're saying that what God gives us is free, but actually it's not. How many of you know that, that anything you do for something renders that no longer a gift? Is that true? Anything you do for something means it's no longer a gift. So if we believe that salvation, God's goodness given in our life, lifting us out of ourselves to be who we were always meant to be, if we believe that is a gift, and anything in us suggests that something has to be done for that gift, then it was never a gift. So my whole challenge is at least be honest. Don't say it's a gift and then say, if we do this... We receive the gift. If it's a gift, it's a gift. I believe that what God gave us in the form of his love, his acceptance and his forgiveness is a gift. Okay? We don't do anything to earn it. It's already done. And so that has raised things about God. For example, that God is not the God of the you must. See, again, most of our shape of God has been a God who says you must. You must do this. You must be this. You must pray this prayer. You must make this request. But actually, what we've learned is he's not a God of you must. He's a God of I will. I will come down. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will lead you in. So we are the beneficiaries of God's I will, not God's you must. Okay, so I want to free you from that so we understand where we've come in our journey. We've come from the you must mentality to the I will mentality that all puts it back on God. And that's the LAFD, the loved, accepted, forgiven, done. Now, one little question. Guess which one of those four things draws the most aggressive opposition? Loved, accepted, forgiven, done. Which do you think gets the most aggro? What? Forgiven. Isn't that interesting? You get the how dare you suggest... That I need to be forgiven. Well, number one, I dare. Because I'm a human being. As I said, I'm not far off 60. I've been around a while now. And let him who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. The very suggestion that any of us have lived life without the need of forgiveness from anyone... Even if you lay aside whatever your beliefs of of the divine being God are, to think that you have lived life without the need for forgiveness is a sad, sad state to be in. And it's actually the cause of the whole problem of humanity. Because to feel I don't need forgiveness, why are you telling me I need God's forgiveness, makes me self-righteous. And the problems in the world are caused by being self-righteous. I know best. My way is best. I'll do it my way. If you read the Bible from Genesis, you find the problem with Adam and Eve is self-righteousness. 
righteousness. We don't want God to define our righteousness. We want to define our own. We want to do it ourselves. So don't you be telling me this business. Well, truth is we need to be told. And we all need forgiveness. I'm thankful for forgiveness. I don't know about you. So, I also talked a few weeks ago about an incident recorded in in the New Testament in the book of Acts in chapter 8 about a man who was different. He was different in that he was a man of color. He was an Ethiopian. He was different in that he was a eunuch. He'd been messed with. His bits had been cut off without his permission. So he find himself in a situation that was beyond his own control and not determined by his own choice that had been imposed upon him, that it would be so easy to sit back in judgment and say, the problem with you is, and everybody was doing that, but this man had been down to Jerusalem to the church and he was on his way home from church not only with unresolved questions but also having shared a very negative experience of sacred prejudice. See, even down in Jerusalem, he was only allowed in a place called the Court of the Gentiles. It all sounds very nice, doesn't it? You know, you can come in the Court of the Gentiles. That would be the equivalent of me saying to you tonight, you're welcome at the Rock, and you get to stay in the car park. And while we're doing all this, you can't come in, because you're not complete. You've not got what it takes to come in. So you've got to stay in the car park. You see, it all sounds very nice, court of the Gentiles. Actually, it was just a discrimination. There were reasons for it, which I can't go into tonight that I could teach you and help you with. But the truth is, it was a discrimination on many fronts because of the man's condition, because of his sexuality, because of his color of his skin, because of his background, because of his beliefs. And so he was kept on the fringes and excluded. So his experience of church was, wouldn't you say, pretty negative. And as he's going home, he's reading the Bible in in an Old Testament book called Isaiah because he's desperate to find the truth that he's been looking for. But he hasn't found it that the church has been to in Jerusalem. Now, how many people is that their experience? See, truth is, if that wasn't people's experience, most of them would probably be in here tonight, right? So here this man's had this negative experience because of what I call sacred prejudice. And there are so many things in, in the life of the church that can emerge in our desperate desire to formulate society in a way that we think works best and very often that rather than coming from what God calls righteousness, right standing with God, it comes from right and wrong which brings you to morality where we think that's moral, we think that's immoral and so we even take essence of scripture, of Bible and take it and mold it according to our moral compass, okay, and so we found many portions of our society excluded from the hope and the life that could be theirs in what the church is supposed to be because of what I call sacred prejudices. I call them sacred for two reasons. One, because once you have one of these prejudices against somebody, you hold it very sacredly. And I also call them sacred prejudices because it's funny how we always feel that God's on our side in that prejudice. You know, the Bible says, and so we exclude people because we believe the Bible's telling us that we should exclude. And yet, that's why I said Jesus is so jolly inconvenient. Because the very people that they wanted to exclude, Jesus included. 
and welcomed. And he preferred to hang around those because he found in them not a moral compass trying to resolve the world from right and wrong, but he found a heart that was saying, I just want to receive what it is that I need to change me as a person, and then I want to follow that way and release that way. So, so this poor guy had, had become the victim of these sacred prejudices. And uh, the biblical account, as I showed you that night, um, even engages in the same practice. Uh, sad to say this, I hope you know. I hope you bear with me on this. But in that chapter eight, there's a verse being added that's not anywhere in the original Greek text anywhere. Okay, so so I'm not making this up. Like, well, you know, is it in the Catholic Bible or the Baptist Bible or the Anglican? It's not anywhere in the Greek text. The text from which the Bible is translated, you cannot find this verse. And here's what happens in verse 36. This eunuch, who's excluded by no fault of his own, who'd not been welcomed, thinks what he's reading is fantastic because he's reading about a prophecy about Jesus, about the Christ. And, uh, and this guy, Philip's explaining it to him, and he starts talking to him about being baptized, and the guy suddenly sees a puddle of water. He says, here's water. Why don't you baptize me? I want to throw my lot in with this Jesus. Uh, and then the literal Greek text says, and so Philip said, stop the chariot, took him in and baptized him. The altered text says in verse 37 in your Bible, which is not there in the text, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Now I understand the sentiment of it, but actually it was not appropriate because that was not what Philip is recorded as saying. You say, well, isn't it important to believe with all your heart? Yes, it is, but it's not a prerequisite for somebody making a decision to say, what you're telling me is amazing, can I become part of what you're telling me? Okay. So in all of this, what I'm trying to say to you is that, that, that we develop these sacred prejudices that often give people an experience of church that is very negative and does not allow them to find what it was that they were were looking for. So I said all that because um, all this in our conversation as leaders with Jenny and Joel and Danny and and Beth and and Dave and Chris um, led us to some conclusions, which is that we feel that we have, to a great degree, completed the task of the journey of reteaching and emphasizing who God is and what he's really like, which is why we got the loved, accepted, forgiven, done. Okay. Um, also a little bit why Chris showed that video and talked to you tonight about Riley, because we, we just talked over that this, this last couple of days because we realized how much the leverage of threat has played a part in the presentation of what we call the good news. And then the question is, am I afraid Santa's not coming? Or am I disappointed with my behavior? And the truth is, while ever you use threat, you'll never know. You'll never know. Hence the reason why something very close to the heart of God is freedom, setting people free. Because God wants to know... If you're going to love him and if you're going to follow him, you're not doing it because you think the alternative is eternal conscious torment in a place called hell. You, you imagine if, if, if Chris only married me because the alternative was alternative conscious torment. 
You'd marry anybody for that almost, wouldn't you? <laughs> How many of you would like to feel that you, somebody who loved you only loved you because they were trying to avoid? You want to know somebody loves you because they've been taken by you and love you. So, so, so often the message that, that has been portrayed has been, has been a little manipulative in the sense that fear has been the dominating factor. And then it leaves me unsure where love fitted in all of that. Hence, loved, accepted, forgiven, done, and our journey on that. So we feel that we've, we've journeyed to that place, but we felt that for this year, we also have a motto for this year that we're going to pursue and talk about, and, and, but, but even more than that, that we are going to live. Okay, We're going to live this motto. Um, it also emerged from the conviction that many of us who have understood something of LF, LAFD, loved, accepted, forgiven, done, have simply become more at peace with being self-centered as the main fruit of being God-centered. So one of the struggles for me as a leader is to watch people, the more they understand they're loved, accepted, forgiven, done, become more and more self-centered in their, as the main fruit of being God-centered. So, things like community are much less important than I've got something on. So, we can have an issue that says, I don't need to be there with the community of believers because I'm free and I'm loved and accepted and I'm forgiven, it's done, and I don't have to prove anything. That's actually true, but it's not helpful. Okay? Because what it's saying is, love, knowing you're loved, accepted, forgiven, and that everything's done, releases us into a freedom of life to make decisions free of pressure, which is good. And we thank God for that. But can you see how that can tend towards, if we're not careful, a self-centered fruit that we think is being God-centered, when actually what we're doing is putting ourself at the core, at the center, saying, well, I'm free, I don't have to be. It ties in with some of the things I've often said. You know, I, um, the Bible talks about something called tithing, which is, is trying to encourage us to give one-tenth of our income so that people can be touched and helped and blessed and ministered to, and that's what helps it to function. Um, and I've been in conversations where people have said, oh, that's no longer applicable. That, that's, that's the old law of Moses. But I've never met anybody who said that because they're wanting to give more than 10%. It's always people wanting to say that so they don't actually have to give 10%. Now my view is, if under some old system that was nowhere near as good as this, people were willing to do that, then under something as good as the good news, my heart ought to be, I don't believe in that because it's not enough. Right? It's not enough to recognize the love, acceptance, forgiveness that has been given to me. How much God has done for my life. So, so what I'm trying to drive with you is that as we've emerged into this understanding of God, it has not essentially been a good binding agent for community. It's been a releasing agent for personality. That's got to change this year. And uh, we're going to do our best to change it because... To correct that balance, our motto for 2015 is LAFD squared. Okay? LAFD squared. Now, I love this. I think it's a great way of putting it because 
LAFD squared, of course, means loved, accepted, forgiven, done, times loved, accepted, forgiven, done. Now, what do you get when you multiply an understanding that you're loved, accepted, forgiven, and done? What you get is love, accept, forgive, do. Okay? So, yes, we've spent two or three or more years trying to understand again that we are loved, we are accepted, we are forgiven, and it's done, but it's now time to enter into LAFD squared and say, it's time for me to love, it's time for me to accept, it's time for me to forgive, it's time for me to do. So what we're calling is you as a community of believers who are here tonight and are not here tonight and will be here, that this has got to be the driving motivation of our lives this year as we seek to build the kingdom of God and of his Christ, pursuing the life of that Jesus who caused us to need to do this if we are going to express his goodness. Now, that means there are some fringe communities that we ought to be making major inroads into blessing and accepting this year who are not accepted because some people think morally it's unacceptable. So change and you can come. I say come, and if you change, wonderful. And if you don't change, wonderful. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to love, to accept, to forgive, and to do. Also for those who have given it their best shot to uh, cause this house to fail, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, okay? And that what we do is not react, what we do is respond because we love, we accept, we forgive, we do. Now, this might sound like, well, isn't that just what church people and Christians do all the time? Answer, at 58 years and nine months No, far from it very often. And my intent is, is that for the next period of my life, which is I'll still be skiing at 83, so don't worry about me, I'm going to be around for a while. The next period of my life that we make sure that we blaze a trail to say we can no longer stay in that rut that allows us to not love, not accept, not forgive, and not do what it was that Jesus was calling us to do. Now, the wonderful thing is the gospel is at its best when the gospel is done, not when the gospel is preached, okay? It's wonderful to preach the good news, but the good news is best when it's done. But that's where Jesus becomes inconvenient, because when he was doing the gospel with prostitutes and, 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 and collaborators with the Romans called tax collectors and people caught doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing but they were doing because sometimes we do stuff we shouldn't have been doing and even worse, sometimes we get caught doing stuff we shouldn't have been doing. Jesus seemed to want to all the time love, accept, forgive and do for these people. There's one little story in there and I'll say this and then I'm, I'm going to give you my last comment that Jesus is one day having a meal with some people and he's laying down as they used to do then, you know, at the table. This woman comes in and, and, and she, starts, she starts pouring per- expensive perfume on his feet and crying over his feet and wiping it with her hair. I mean, I don't know how I'd take to that anyway, you know. But anyway, that's what she did. And um, the people at the house who were the in crowd, you know, the... The, 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 the church leaders whispered, and this is what they said, if he knew 
what kind of woman she was, he'd never let her do that. But you see, the story is this, that exactly and precisely because he knew what kind of woman he was, he let her do that. Do you see the different spirit? And uh, also when you think that the ointment, it says, was extremely expensive, and of course when you put two and two together, the ointment, in essence, is bought with the money that she's made from prostitution, and she's using that ointment to anoint the feet of This Jesus, and Jesus thinks, what a wonderful gift, what a wonderful offering. You see, there is a different spirit that happens. My concern is not uh, to impress whatever the religious community might perceive itself to be. And I don't say that judgmental. We're, We're, in a sense, part of that, and we love people. But our role is not to try and impress those who historically might label themselves Christian. Our role is to love, to accept, to forgive, and to do to all humanity. Of all creed, all color, all belief systems, all practices, all genders, we have got to let this be the focus of what we do this year. So, some of us here were raised with something called the ABC of the gospel. How many of you remember that? The ABC of the gospel, accept, believe, confess. Accept that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross, confess your sins and you'll be saved. Now, um, it brought many people into faith in Christ and I don't argue with that. Whether I believe that's the way or, or certainly don't believe it's the only way to come in is another matter. But what we were wanting to do in our, in our crude attempt was for The Rock to have our own ABC that we can say we get behind. One thing that ABC did, it linked people's minds together in a focus that said, this is what we're looking for. I want this to be our ABC. That this is what we're all looking for from the house. It's what you're looking for from me. It's what we're looking for from one another. That we love, we accept, we forgive, and we do. That's our new ABC, LAFD squared. So let me finish by saying this. We believe that the manifestation of these four things, love, accept, forgive, do, are the stamp of the life which has truly embraced the good news of Jesus. And so here's where I want to finish why the film next week is important. Um, I realized when we were talking as a group that most people's image of God is developed around a pay-it-back approach, okay? God loved me, he sent Jesus, Jesus gave his life for me, and something inside us is like, so I have to pay God back for his goodness. Now, some of the things I'm saying to you, we never use those words, but but when you look at how we act, that's what we're looking at. So, so, So some of our payback methods are things like worship, how does that mean worship? No, worship's great. We should worship. But how often is worship the payback? And stuff like that. So, so we have this mentality that, that when we meet this God and when we meet this Jesus, that our role is to pay him back for what he's done for us. But, but you see, a pure image of God and the good news should always develop a pay-it-forward approach. And what I mean by that is not God forgave me, so I must pay him back for forgiving me, but God forgave me, so I must pay it forward and forgive her. And she must pay it forward and forgive her. And she must pay it forward and forgive him. And he must pay it forward and forgive him. 
So before you know what's happening, instead of me having this little world where, ooh, God touched my life and now I'm paying back, thank you, what suddenly happened is this explosion of the life of God. Now, now, here's what Jesus said to his disciples, okay? He said to them, because of what has happened to you, that's my summary of, of the words, because of what has happened to you, find yourself a church and go and give thanks to God. Because of what's happened to you, spend all your time on your knees and worship God. Because of what's happened to you, give your time and attention to pay back God. No, Jesus said, because of what's happened to you, go and make disciples in all the nations. Right? Baptizing them and teaching them what I have commanded you. What did he commanded them? That you love one another in the same way and to the same degree that I have loved you. That's an outflow. It's an outgoing thing. It's a moving thing. I don't want you coming to church to pay God back or to pay your dues or to think, well, I'm supposed to be in church on a Saturday. I think you should be personally, but not for that reason of I'm supposed to be in church. I think you should be here because you have a desire to pay it forward. That when somebody comes in here who's been excluded in society or had a bad experience, I'd like them to walk into a full building where 20 people, 30 people throw their arms around them and love them. Or if they don't like people touching them, don't throw their arms around them and love them. But just make sure they know that they're welcome so that you're paying forward what it is that God did for you. This idea that, well, I don't need to, you know, I'm okay and we're free. And what that's really saying is I have no intention at all of paying forward what God has given to me, right? And we've all gotten there a little bit, right? Duty, and that means I am not obliged to pay this forward. Passion gives me a purpose that says, do you know what? There may just be an opportunity tonight that I can pay forward what it is that God has done in me. We are going to be a pay it forward this church at church this year, right? A pay it forward. Now we've already dismantled and taken apart some things and right or wrong is not the issue. The issue is because we felt we need to to get to where we are and some of those things might come back. I don't know, but it's also we can get to this place that we're not paying back to God what He's given to us because that's not what He wants. You say, well, it is what he wants. No, it's not what he wants. Right, let's come back again. Is salvation a gift? If you pay anything back, is it a gift? So if God's given righteousness as a gift, what does he want back? If God's given righteousness as a gift, what does he want back? Because the moment you give back, it's not a gift. Giving righteousness as a gift, God says, now take the gift and pay it forward. Pay it forward. Let that righteousness touch somebody else's life. The gift, give somebody else the gift of righteousness that you have received. Embrace them. Take them in. Encourage them. Because I don't want anyone in this city to have the experience of that Ethiopian eunuch who was leaving the church, not having found what it was he was looking for, disappointed and disillusioned. But on the other hand, I'm glad he found Jesus instead of the church. And I want people to find Jesus, not the church, but I want them to find Jesus in this church to be the vehicle that pays it forward. So I'd like to feel 
that you make a commitment in your heart to say, this year, I get it, it's LAFD squared. Now, we've done LAFD, but now it's LAFD squared. I am committed to love, accept, forgive, and to do. And we are going to build this house with people, my desire is, who probably couldn't be built into any other house because people have got to have this spirit and heart for that to happen. Thank God for everything everybody's doing, but we also need to do what we've been brought to do on our journey, running the race marked out for us, being unconventional by design. Just stand with me, and we're going to pray, and then we're out of here. Okay, here's, here's how you respond to this. You do what we've said. That's, that's how you respond, okay? And you pass it on. And you're moving it. I believe in you. I, Chris and I are tremendously grateful for, for all of you and, and who you are and what you have contributed to our lives and to this house. Uh, but we also know that God brought us to this time for such a time as this. He's been challenging us and changing us. And I'd like you to be part of this community and part of this house to be the ones who love, accept, forgive and do, and the ones who understand that we're paying this forward in Jesus' name. So Father, you see our hearts, you see our intent. Help us, empower us however you can, challenge us, stretch our lives, build into us what we need for this, keep changing us, keep challenging us, keep making us love, accept, forgive and do, because that's the best way to learn this. And as we do that, Lord, help us to bring change and to bring life to our city and beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I say one last thing? One last thing. You don't learn this theoretically, right? You don't learn this theologically. You learn this practically. That's why Jesus said, follow me, let's get this done, okay? So I love theology, I love thought, I love philosophy, I love, I love questions, I love all that stuff. But at the end of the day, this only works not by knowing theory, or by knowing doctrine, this only works by people doing it from the depths of their life. And that's what we're committed to do in Jesus' name this year. So pray for those who are in leadership. If you've got ideas and thoughts and contributions and inputs on this, you know, don't be shy in coming forward. But let's make this next 12 months a wonderful 12 months of touching people's lives in a wonderful way that builds this house not just numerically, but actually builds this house as a community of people who are believing the same thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if 10 times the amount of all the people we have were paying it forward into 2016? And 10 times that number of people were paying it forward into 2017. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, all things are possible to him who believes, Jesus says. So please believe with us. But God bless you. Enjoy the week. Have a wonderful New Year celebration. And we'll see you in... Couple of weeks tonight. No, week tonight. Two weeks tonight. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we're done. Bless you, everybody.